Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book reviewer and great guy, Gary Watson, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. Available by post, issue 14 of Comic Scene is out now and their biggest issue yet. In conjunction with Pipe Dream Comics, it contains reviews and signposts of every indie and small press comic you should own. There's also an exclusive interview with Pat Mills on Space Warp and bonus pages from the new comic anthology Shift. Stocks are limited, but get your copy today at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. On a side note, today I launched my sixth Kickstarter, Access Denied which is a one-shot sci-fi adventure comic about forbidden love between an android from Mars and a human from Earth. If you like the idea of an adventure-styled Romeo and Juliet set in space, then feel free to check it out on Kickstarter via signalcomics.com forward slash access or simply click the link in the show notes. Now without further ado, on with the show. Hello Gary Watson, how's it going? Hey Sam, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm alright mate. Um, just been talking about our, our day's activities. Mine's been full of um, bits and bobs, really, kind of painting eggs this morning, paddling pool this afternoon, as well as building lawnmowers and hedge trimmers and things like that. Um, how about yours? Yeah, much the same, just piecing together any kind of normalcy that I can. Uh, work's fairly constant, but outside of that, reading and TV and gardening, everything you can think of. Yeah, man, and, and soaking up the sun. As well, trying to get some uh, Yeah, when we when, when I get the chance, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. It's supposed to last for the next few weeks, so we'll, we'll get out, isn't sure. it? Yeah, too right, man, too right. Excellent. Um, well, thank you so much for doing for comics for the apocalypse today. Uh, but for our listeners, uh, what do you do in the world of comics? Yeah, from my from my perspective, uh, the the kind of big thing that I do for comics, I, I suppose in, in in general, is uh, I do reviews, uh, interviews, uh, I visit conventions uh, under the Comics Anonymous name. Um, I've been working and I've been doing that as a hobby pretty much consistently for the last, God knows, about nine years or something like that, I think now. Um, it started off as a group. The group fell away. The idea was in limbo for a little while and then I kind of picked up again and I've maybe gravitated towards small press. So most mm. of the stuff that I put out just now is uh, promoting small press and getting an idea of some of the indie comics out there that I, that I possibly can and just yeah, the more and more comics. Absolutely. And it's it's most welcome as well and, and you've kind of you reviewed a fair few of my uh titles. So I really, really appreciate you kind of taking the time to read it, review it. And it's always very thoughtful, your reviews as well. Thanks. Um, so it's, it's kind of it's really good to see. Yeah, man. Um, it, honestly, it really is. Um, so everybody, um, if you'd like to check out Gary's website, um, they, the links are in the show notes. But um, for all the listeners, Gary, uh, where can they find you online? Uh, well, the website is uh, comicsanonymous.co.uk. It's uh, Comics Anonymous on Facebook. And over on Twitter, it's Comics Anon blog. Um, that's the kind of main sources that I have for social media and website stuff fantastic and as i say those links are in the show notes so feel free uh, everybody to click through as we're talking and check out gary's work right there uh, now all of that aside um unfortunately i do have some bad news for you gary um and that is is that there's been a robot uprising basically um now we have no idea whether it's anything to do with anything that elon musk is doing maybe it is maybe it isn't um maybe something to do with Neuralink. who knows um but uh the the question is, uh, what is your action plan for survival with the robot uprising? Well, I, th- I think if it's if we're dealing with that on top of a pandemic, then I think everything's going to go pretty crazy. Um, but <laughs> for me, quickly. the robot, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the robot uprising side, I would go down the route of probably following uh, John Connor's lead, and I would look awesome. at joining a a militia 
uh, or starting a militia uh, and getting pockets of resistance that will try and hack their way into uh, whatever is controlling the robots and bringing them down um, as best we can. Uh, and I'm sure the, the comic community will be part of that network, uh, piecing that together and, and, and making sure that we can survive. Awesome, man. So we're going to be having Captain Gary Watson on our hands. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know if I'll be in charge. Um, well, it sounds like you, you, you were pretty. You were pretty <laughs> assertive. You you were pretty assertive with <laughs> with your yeah, plans. Well, so, well, so you'd maybe, rise to the top very quickly. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm I'm an unconscious leader. Maybe that's what, what I'll do. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll rally Definitely. the troops. Uh, I'll get us armed and I'll get us organised. Amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm that. That's cool, man. Um, and so, uh, what happens is that you you manage to lead a militia in resistance uh, against the the, the robots. Uh, and and one fine evening, um, around a campfire, um, in in the Highlands somewhere, let's say, um, just in 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 our kind of our camp zero, like yeah. hidden away from from the road, well as far away as we could. From, from any kind of robots um, would be the best spot, wouldn't it? The Highlands, probably. Oh, yeah. High ground. Yep. Yeah, too We're right, on it. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. That's awesome. Um, and the uh, your uh, your sergeants and your privates um, ask, uh, what's the first comic you remember enjoying? Yeah, I, th- I think um, probably like a, a lot of people at say it's probably been annuals your, your christmas annuals has always been a kind of a gateway to seeing what comics are out there um mm. so for me and particularly probably particularly being north of the border dc thompson was quite a popular a popular name um so stuff like the Bruins, or willie and then into like the bean on the dandy they, they were kind of the gateway drug if you like to to, to the, mm-hmm. probably the first things that i ever remember reading um Particularly when you consider that most of the news agents up and down the country were fairly sporadic with whatever issues they could get in, you would get a, an obscure mm. X Men or an obscure Spider Man here or there. Um, yeah, so it certainly wasn't those, consistent. Like no, not front, not, not at all. Um, I remember like the, the odd hollow cover or the odd kind of die cut cover where the news agent was obviously trying to cash in on something being a collectible and, and they got loads of those in. Um, but as you say, consistency was never really a strong point. Um, yeah. I think fil- filtering off from, from that kind of stuff, news agents were, were still very much a source for me. So um, right. looking at, I, 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 strangely enough, I never ventured into 2000 DD, probably until much later down the line. But right. um, Marvel UK were, were particularly good for me because they, produ- they produced a, a monthly exploits of Spider-Man. Um, kind of anthology if you like it was it was a four mm. size it had stories from the 60s it had stories for the 90s um and probably the most the most significant discovery in amongst that was um spider-man 2099 was was a, a kind of major turning point in in me probably turning an occasional read into an obsession um mm-hmm. and spider-man 2099 and particularly through exploits of spider-man being able to see a lot of the history and uh, a lot of the, the kind of more modern stories, um, they just kind of fueled my imagination, probably. Um, and I think probably a lot of people probably gravitate towards Spider-Man because he was he was young uh, and he was fighting against bullies and then he was trying to find his way. So um, I think that was a kind of natural um, thing for, for, for me to kind of get in sync with, if you like. So the Xbox of Spider-Man and, and pretty much there was two or three other things that came out from Marvel UK that were that were quite significant. Um, following on from that, that course kind of briefly went down the same kind of route. Uh, they they produced a, a kind of an anthology called uh, Total Carnage, um, right. and it it got me into probably a, a little bit more of the darker type type of stories. So it introduced the worlds of like Army of Darkness and Grendel. Um, there was a Batman versus Predator run on it as well um, and I think uh, I th- in saying that Total, Total Carnage only ever got as far as issue 3 because issue 3 had a, a particular cover with, with the tagline your mother wouldn't like Total Carnage and then it had a picture <laughs> of Ash Campbell saying but then we wouldn't like your mother 
Um, <laughs> Brilliant. So Brilliant. I foolishly, I bet that, that that hooked so many teenage boys. Oh, oh totally. So I, I was about twelve or thirteen, I think, at the time. So uh, there's, 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 a mass, there, there's a massive gap in my comic book reading, probably right. because that um, probably fueled a, a significant tailing off by my mum. I would think. Oh, um, yeah, and I don't really think I quite recovered until maybe a few years down the line. <laughs> so there was a gap in your in your um, yeah oh reading. yeah definitely right. um I think from about thirteen fourteen through to about eighteen nineteen that was probably from early nineties to the late nineties um mm. there was a big gap there um I don't know that I don't know that I've ever went back and really recouped some of that I've probably dabbled with it but um sometimes certain things just pass you by I think yeah and you kind of got to let it go a little bit yeah definitely especially Um, when there's so much new stuff coming out already yeah precisely you you, you'd be chasing your tail if if you attempted to to catch up on all of that I think exactly Um, exactly but uh no that's fantastic and so um after that blip um did you did you manage to stay reading comics consistently uh, yeah, I think I think probably being able to earn money and having a, probably a more significant regular job and an income um, mm. probably brought brought with me the opportunity to try and actually find comics and, and, and spend money on comics. So I think mm-hmm. um, going back, I probably did venture out and playing stay, staying about twenty miles outside Glasgow. There wasn't very many comic shops locally, so it was always a trip into Glasgow. Um, and probably right. at that age, I was of an age where I could go in myself and I could wander and I could discover these places. So I think that right. that's where I ended up wandering into the likes of Forbidden Planet or some of the, the, the smaller kind of comic shops that were tucked away here and there, um, they held back issues. Um, and then there was always something, there was always something interesting in the wall that I knew I hadn't read before or maybe I half recognised from maybe a, a previous exploits of Spider-Man or something like that. And then mm. I would go mental and I would, I would try and frantically buy whatever I could. So I, I did recoup, yeah. I did recoup that. I did build up a hefty collection and then I think I gradually chipped away at it, but probably around about the time where I was thinking we were planning to get married, I think. Nice. <laughs> so funds had yeah, to yeah, be re- redirected, so. I think. Well, yeah, definitely, mate. Tell me about it. Um, but uh, just, just wondering, what, what kind of got you into indie press at all? Was there a particular thing that did, or? Um, I, I, th- I think when we, when we first started the, the comics anonymous site, we we, ju- we just went to comic events. Um, mm. what what was really quite strange was that our first trip to Thought Bubble wasn't necessarily intentionally for going down for Thought Bubble. There was a, a signing yeah. down in a, a shop in Halifax with mm. uh, Dougie Braithwaite and uh, Kieran Gillen, I think it was at the time. Um, right. We were down, saw them, we interviewed them for the site and then we ended up, we, we stayed and hung around and we ended up going to Thought Bubble. So Thought Bubble was probably the big trigger for maybe opening my eyes to what else was there. Um, and then, as I said, with, with the site then becoming essentially just mine, it was really just trying to decide what I wanted to do with it. We could see any number of sites out there focusing on the Marvels, the DCs, and all the, all the other big names. But then I knew from my visit to Thought Bubble that there was loads and loads of quality stuff getting better and better and more... more um, more significant, I guess, in terms of reading uh, on the small mm. press and indie side, uh, and that geared me towards that. So, probably Great. Thought Bubble is probably what where, year was that? Do you think um, that must have been twenty twelve? Right, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, I think. Um, yeah. uh, because we had the the site started purely to to, to try and. Uh, turn our conversations about uh, comics into reviews and, be, and foolishly between the group at the time we decided to uh, review every number one from the new 52 reboot. So, oh, great. <laughs> so, so you got 52 div- on your side. <laughs> so we, div- we divvied them up and yeah. uh, we tackled the 10 or 12 each or something, whatever it was that ended up as. Um, wow. And then from there, it just kind of never stopped. 
that's awesome and so from from your perspective of of having kind of you know um seen the comic industry develop as as a review site mm-hmm. um what what have your thoughts been in terms of how it's evolved particularly in the uk just over the past eight years uh, I, I think that the biggest thing is probably the, the sense of community that's built up around it um mm. and it, and that seems to f- to fuel people um forgetting the success that they want um i think the it, it's strange because it, it, it did seem to hit a, a steady increase um for a long time and then it's, it seemed to have a bit of a lull um and then i think just now it's probably up on, on the ascendancy again. Um, I think that mm-hmm. the lull came from uh, the, the calendar years being full of events and people getting probably tired with with, with comic things in general. Um, right. But I, th- I think um, the quality of printing, I suppose now, is, is a massive factor in, in, in the reduced costs of that that, that comes with uh, the development technology. So... Um, you can definitely see that now we're certainly at, we're, we're a world away from like A4 sheets stapled together or folded or, or something yeah. like that. Um, and I think because the quality the quality and the, the final product is there, um, I think the writing and the artwork has, has, has probably joined that ascendancy and it, it, it's kind of mm-hmm. just going toe-to-toe with anything that the, 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 the major companies can produce. Um, I think my, my my pool list for kind of mainstream titles has gone down, while my mm. my indie stuff has 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 constantly gone up. Not not necessarily just through the fact that I review them, but probably just because of the fact that um, you know so and you know a lot more of the people that are involved, and you know that the quality's still there. Um, so for for me, that's what it is. Um, whether that translates to the to the wider audience i don't know because the, the the movies and the tv are still kind of driving that in, in a very big way uh, mm. which doesn't necessarily convert to either mainstream comic sales or um, yeah. indie comic sales which you'll, you'll probably know yourself yes definitely um i think it, in, it increases the number of people that go to comic cons mm-hmm. probably like the big comic cons at least like yeah, the yeah, MCMs sure. and things um and you know th- there's potential for those people to kind of fall into comic village or something mm-hmm. and then yeah, perhaps yeah, yeah. pick up an indie title or something um it's not droves is it um but uh i may i think it's probably helpful um in terms of it but i th- i think for for the uk indie scene to properly explode i think something else needs to happen i think yeah and and maybe maybe that's down to the the distribution side. Who knows? Yes. Um, maybe yeah, m- maybe with definitely. everybody's eyes being open to how diamond work and how things have gone, particularly during this kind of mm. lockdown. Yeah. Who knows that? Who knows the other side of this? We could see a uh, some sort of rena- renaissance or some sort of restructure of how dis- the distribution side works, and then hopefully. Uh, the indie scene would be would be, be kind of carried along on that on that wave of of new of new opportunities. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Uh, de- um, definitely. Like, at, least, at least get some positivity out of this situation. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Uh, now, uh, going back to the campfire, uh, mm-hmm. the next question that comes up is: What's the funniest or comic that made you laugh out loud the most? Uh, I think just like. Most of these, it's it's really been hard to, to narrow it down to just one. Um, yeah. it, it's funny because in amongst my my comic reading, I don't necessarily think there's a comic I buy specifically for humour. So I think that's probably why this mm-hmm. was one of the, the things that was it was hard for me to to probably fit in to maybe one of the things I read. Uh, the the two kind of indie titles that, that sprung to mind immediately when it was mentioned that being funny was a uh, loose scanning by Dan Harris, Chris Carter and Jim Ramfield. Right. Um, it's a kind of, it's all, it's a kind of sci-fi kind of, it's very much like a kind of red dwarf themed crew that are trying to survive by scavenging. Um, but I think because there's so many references 
both to the likes of Red Dwarf and to, to other kind of pop culture. I think that kind of sticks in my head because I know I know for a fact there's, there's times when I've properly laughed at that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other indie that, that sprung in mind was uh, Deep Ender. It's, yeah. a, it's a book by uh, John Lees, he's a, a Glasgow-based writer. Uh, but Deep Ender is his kind of it's a kind of autobiographical uh, comic about uh, a local swimming bath that he goes to and the people in it. Um, mm. There's a couple of scenes in that that I know that I've had to put it down because I'm laughing so hard, just because it catches me so off guard. Um, and I think most of the time, I think that's where the memories come from. The memories come from the fact that you're reading a book on one subject and then there's a laugh out of the blue. It's not necessarily yeah. that it's a humour book. It's just that the yes. laugh hits you. Yeah. Because in the context of the story, it hits you really funny. Um, I think I had a couple of notes for, for honourable mentions in that because I found it the same with the likes of Lock and Key. Um, mm. There's two or three moments in that when they're when they're discovering the keys. Um, but Joe Hill seems to just throw in a curveball laugh that, that seems to just hit me totally off guard as well. Um and it's really, really good. Uh, probably the other, the other kind of, kind of, it's kind of mainstream slash indie was uh, the likes of American Splendor. Um, I think because that's got a, that's got kind of indie heart to it. But uh, Harvey Pekar stuff in that, some of that's just really, really on point and really kind of natural with some of his laughs and the situations that he finds himself in. So I think it's just like everything else. If you can relate to it, um, mm, and it's yeah. absurd, then it, it, it strikes you as, as probably funnier than. And maybe it would beat the others. I don't know. It just seems funny. But um, mainstream, there was only two or three. Whereas, as I say, there's not very many books I purposely get a hold of for for the laughs. If you like. No, I think it can be. It can be. It's really difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you, you don't. But maybe people do. Um, I don't think I don't. I, I think I, I. I'm the same as you, where I appreciate a joke as it comes up. Mm-hmm. kind of in a book you know it's not a strict comedy or anything but you know in, in like an action adventure comic like there's going to be yeah. um there's going to be the odd joke here and there and it's just it, it's nice to kind of have that change of emotion yeah um and uh it, it, as you say kind of you know catchy by surprise and it's a nice little laugh out loud moment so yeah no that's great Awesome. Uh, now, uh, changing gears, um, the next question that comes up is, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? Um, I think um, the most recent example that I, I think that, that really sprung in mind for me is uh, In Waves. Um, it's a book that's released through Nobrow. Mm. But the creator, A.J. Dungo, has pieced together a, a kind of it's kind of a story with two layers to it. It's got a, a history of surfing part to it. And that is intertwined with um, him dealing with his partner having cancer and then him losing his partner having cancer. Um, yeah. I think probably uh, for myself, I, th- I think when it comes to some of these books, um, have, having it tie into to my life in a, in a certain way is, is probably... The most important thing, particularly when it comes to something that, that's sad, because you can you can relate to it so much more. Um, mm. I've uh, I've not thankfully I've not I've not lost my dad, but my dad did go through cancer um, about right. about eight or nine years ago. I think he was given the all clear, so the, the, there was a run a run of time where he was he was really going through the mill with his chemo and his uh, just just life in general as, it, as he struggled to cope with it. Um, yeah. And I think at that time it probably hit me like a, a brick wall, like 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 most kind of illnesses of that that seriousness do to people. But and we've seemed to be the type of book that I needed at the right time. So um, I can't, I'm quite a I'm kind of a firm believer that you will enjoy and you will connect with books um, only if you're in the right mood for them. Um, mm-hmm. There's yeah, probably definitely. there's a lot of mainstream books out there that either I've tried to read because people have said they're good and I haven't taken them taken to them uh, and it's usually because I haven't been in the mood for them because there's a lot of times where two or three years down the line or five or ten years down the line I've went back to it and I've got something out of it so um, right. timing and mood is probably very much important uh, when it comes to uh, a lot of my reading but um, yeah. if, you, if you can track down a copy of In Waves I would say get it 
Um, and I suppose the the way the, the motion of the waves is is, is very much uh, in sync with the moods that come with it, uh, mm. and how he deals with loss. Um, it's actually it ends up actually being quite a refreshing, quite an uplifting book in the end. Um, mm-hmm. Nice, but uh, it's de- it's definitely one to track down if you haven't heard of it, um, or even if you want to try something different, probably out with whatever your regular reading would be, I guess. Yeah, 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 definitely. And it's it's always good to try and expand your uh, horizons. Oh um, yeah, for sure. In this regard as well, isn't it? Because um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it might not be um, the usual thing that that people might read, but um, it, just looking at the artwork, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, um, on the on the No Brow website. Yes, some of the some of the the, the coloring. Um, yeah, is really right. slick. Um, yeah, it's, it's really just a two-tone book. It's a, a kind of green tone for modern day, and it's a kind of brown, kind of sepia tone for um, the history parts, which which seems mm-hmm. to just make sense um, yeah. when you start thinking about it. Um, but it's a, it's a lovely book, and there's there's some scenes where not a word is said, uh, and yet it's, 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 it can still build up an emotion in you. Yeah, and it's really interesting to go down that route um, yeah. of of a silent comic. I mean, it's it's incredibly brave by the creator. To oh do yeah, that, yeah, isn't it? Um, I yeah, don't know yeah. if I'd have it in me just yet to go to go to do a silent comic, because um, you know you've got to be so. I don't know. I guess really kind of. Um, I think it probably sure just depends on the tone. Things. Yeah, it does depend on the tone. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because there's some moments, uh, it, it does have like large narration and large bits of speech, but um, the section with quietness in it, um, right? It's almost like the pauses between breathing or something like that. So so you feel like he's mm. almost gathering his thoughts as as the story goes on. So um, it's very powerful, considering I suppose particularly because of the colours as well. Yeah. To, to match it um yeah. no yeah that's uh, that's incredible i'm definitely gonna have to track that down um at some point definitely um and then did you have any others at all um i think the only other one i could really think of was a a book called um the standard yeah um, it was a, a kind of six part uh, it started off as, a, as an indie book um, but it was picked up by comics trade but it was by uh, john lee's who i mentioned earlier on um, and it was a real kind of growing old, a superhero growing old, um, and then getting drawn back into uh, dealing with some of his past and some of the troubles that that, that have come his way. Um, and I think this was probably in amongst some of the some of the first things that I ever reviewed. So, um, considering that's been what, nine years or so ago, um, mm-hmm. some of the contents of that has still stuck with me. Um, and well, it's still kind of energetic for the superhero side of stuff. Um, mm. John seems to be able to really kind of hook into emotions um, on a, on a on a different level with some of his writing. Uh, a lot of his books have gone are, are kind of horror based, um, but the standard was a is almost like a an homage to superheroes, but keeping it very kind of grounded in real life. Um, but it's, 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 quite, it's a really good read to try and pick up as well. Nice, because what, what what's the premise with that? Uh, for the standard, yeah, um, it's um, like forty years after a, a superhero's retired, um, he's kind of taking a, a kind of life of fame and stuff, uh, as you would expect if you were hitting the the highs of of social life. Um, yeah, but then um, he's I think he I think he retired, uh, and then his sidekick took on it. The mantle of of the standard, uh, and then a lot of kind of horrific things happened in the past um, for for them, um, and that kind of dredges up uh, how they how they connected, and I suppose how he's then living out his, his, the twilight years of his life. Nice, yeah. Um, so very very interesting, kind of from taking it beyond kind of them at their peak, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. Um, another one I'm gonna have to definitely check out. Uh, now, uh, moving, yeah, <laughs> mate, my reading, my reading list is out of control. It's crazy. Oh yeah, I feel 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Um, the the next question that comes up is, uh, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Um, I think when I thought about this one, I, I wasn't quite sure that there was any that I particularly found scary. Um, hmm. I, I mean, certainly, certainly the, the horrifying part, um, there's definitely a few examples that I've got jotted down for that. Uh, I've got a Little Girl Black. It's a, an mm-hmm. indie book by uh, James McCulloch and uh, Pedro yeah. Mendes. Um, some of the subject matter in that is is, is beyond dark. Uh, and I know James <laughs> quite well. Uh, <laughs> and he's a jovial and joking person. And the fact that something like this comes from him just is, a, is an interesting contrast to make. Um, so it's <laughs> horrifying, definitely. Uh, the other thing, that the one that really sprung to mind was uh, a book by Ben Templesmith called Welcome to Hoxford. Um, it was a, a, especially grim because of, I think during that time there was two or three titles that Temple Smith produced where it was like the most horrific elements of human life you could think of and abuse and torture and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Welcome to Hoxford was really quite a quite a, an even darker one than that. So it, it kind of definitely sprung to mind as, as being uh, horrifying, if you like. Um, in terms of the scary side of stuff, I think it's, it's hard because I'm not necessarily, haven't necessarily been a horror, horror fan probably until I've read some of the books uh, more in a small press, but I've, I've probably went back and, and discovered the likes of uh, Severed by, uh, oh, I can't remember who it was by, uh, Scott mm. Snyder. Um, <laughs> it's quite a, 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 a different approach to, to horror. Uh, stuff like uh, Steve Mills did some really good different horror stuff that, that, he, that, that, he would, that he would do that was it was maybe not scary but it was certainly um, more thought inducing I guess about society in general um, but yeah there was there, there was there was very few for that because again I probably like humor there's not very very many that I seek out for scary for scares I guess. No, no, specifically, no. No, I don't think so. I think sometimes it's it's difficult to hammer home a scare or a, or a laugh in comics. Um, I think there's a few people that can actually get away with it, but um, I don't think yeah. in Married, there's definitely not too many examples of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't kind of, yeah, search out horror and things like that mm-hmm. specifically. I'm always interested by it, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I need to read a Junjo uh, Junji Ito book mm-hmm. at some point because um, that's come up so much on, on the yep, podcast yep. Um, like just you know uh, walking shark people um, or whatever they are <laughs> yep. um, yeah it's uh, it, it just sounds horrific um, so uh, yeah no definitely gonna have to um, kind of face my fears at some point I guess um, now uh, moving on to uh, my favorite question and that is what is your favorite cover <laughs> Why is this your favourite question? Because you know, I just, I, everybody scratched their mind and stuff like. That. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting insight into into you as a person, and you know every other guest as a person, um, and just kind of, I just think it's really interesting to see what people find aesthetically pleasing yep, in a yep. comic cover. I think that's really interesting. Um, I, th- I think this one was kind of different for me i think um the favorite the favorite cover i kind of eventually picked was something that i had a little bit more of a connection with because of where my kind of interesting comic started but um i think in terms of like aesthetics and stuff like that um i, I love the artwork of uh, uh, Esad rubic who had a good run in thor but he did um a book called silver Surfer requiem Right. With uh, Michael Straczynski. Um the other person I really, really like is uh, Alex Ross. Um, I, mm-hmm. I love the, some of the some of the realism he po- pushes into some of his books. Um, and Kingdom Come, I think it's Kingdom Come number four, with Superman on it, um, and uh, just kind of on his knees coming through, coming out of smoke is, is, a, is a really kind of strong one that's that's always kind of stuck in my head. Um, but th- my favourite cover, cover um, is probably not going to be very many other people's, but um, I picked um, Spider-Man 2099 number three. Um, right. And the, and the reason I picked that um, is because I redrew it 
I traced it and redrew it hundreds and hundreds of times just to try and get it right. Wow. Um, and it's still a cover that, that kind of sticks in my mind and amongst all the others. I think, I, I suppose now we're, we're almost spoiled for, for covers with the, the number of variants and stuff that are, that are, that are coming out. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So, well, a, co- a cover can have a wow factor. Um, it, it almost fades because cause there's so many other quality covers round about it. Um, yeah. And I, I know some people will pick uh, maybe some like Sin City or, or, or something, something that's that's out there and recognised or Watchmen or, or, or something like that. But um, mm. twenty ninety nine number three is just is just it for me. I think because I think because of what the what the comic itself means to me in terms of my comic reading. Uh, yeah. Also because I spent um, so much time with that in front of me, drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing it. Um, and it's weird that yeah. I haven't actually picked up a pencil to draw in a long, long time, but I think now that you've made me talk about it, uh, I maybe will dig it out and I maybe will get on it. Because how long does that take you to trace it? It must take you quite a while. It must have taken quite um, a while to trace. Probably, probably, probably when I was 12 or 13, I was just tracing it and then tracing it and then tracing it. Um, and then other times I was just trying to copy it freehand and stuff like that. Um, cool. I was lucky enough. I, I've been a fan of that particular title for a long time, but last year I was... I was lucky enough to meet uh, Rick Leonardi, who did the artwork for it, uh, mm. up at MCM Glasgow. Uh, I bought a, a page off him. Uh, I bought a commission off him. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned before, sometimes the, the comic world isn't the busiest place and amongst a comic con, mm. which is so bizarre. <laughs> but isn't I got the chance to just stand and talk away with him for about 30, 40 minutes. And then I was talking to the likes of Bart Sears that was beside him. So um, I really got to kind of hang about with them if you like for a for a for a wee while which was which was good. So I think that plus how much I loved it when I was younger makes that one my favourite. That's so awesome. I may well yeah, just start tracing it and redrawing it and post it on Twitter, who knows? Do, post it. Do it. Do it man. Um and uh <laughs> for, for, for for people to get a, an idea of what it looks like. So you kinda got Spider Man like jumping Yeah out he's jumping out in the towards middle. the page. Uh, yeah. you can see the full uh, like it's the Day of the Dead as, as the basis for his for his costume, um, and you've got right. a cyborg to the right of him and his brother and sister-in-law to the left of him. Yeah, um, and I mean, do, so when when you trace it, are you just tracing like the main image, or are you doing like the uh, the corner box so again, and things? Or oh, sorry, mate. Uh, so yeah, for the um, tracing. Are you just doing like the main central image, or are you kind of doing every single piece, like the typography, the corner box? I, I think at first it was definitely. I think probably I spent so long just drawing the head, and then I ended up extending yeah. it to drawing the the, the whole image. Uh, and then you realise you started at the wrong bit of the page. So you've got to start again Classic. because you, yeah. you're going to run out of space before you fit everything else in. Um, but then I, yeah, I ended up going down the route of doing every diff- every different aspect uh, and trying to piece it together that's awesome man. Obsessive at that time, so that's probably the yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah totally it's cool um, but it's good to have that it kind of it, it shows that you can be focused and you know lead potentially lead an army one day so you never know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i can draw maps really detailed from memory exactly <laughs> And that is vital in a, in a war against robots. So, you know, we'll need that. Um, now, uh, moving on to uh, another interesting question, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Um, I, I think I would, I would always hark back to the likes of Spider-Man, I think, probably. More for me, um, probably because of the age I was when I, I probably picked up comics, 12, 13 uh, just got into high school, kind of almost feeling like you were Peter Parker in, in many ways. Um, I think that was probably the one that, that kind of stood out and amongst probably a, a sea of different comics that I was reading at the time. Um, uh, and Spider-Man kind of re- really kind of stuck with me and guided me. Um, I probably you, pro- you probably did experience bullying to some extent in, in, in everybody's life at school, but I think mm. um, Spider-Man kind of gave you some sort of something to relate to that you could then get through that. 
uh, whether you had spider powers or not, I guess. Um, I suppose in, in recent years, I said, as I say, probably stuff that kind of links with my own life with the likes of In Waves. Um, but the other one that kind of really stood out in my head was uh, Real Love, um, one of Michael Johnson's book. Uh, right. His kind of autobiography that was about um, how um, film became a, a fascination for him when he was really young, uh, how that grew into just working at a cinema and, and getting by on life, and then how it, how it then grew again to um, making films and stuff like that. Um, that kind of that kind of passion for the big screen, um, coming from like the eighties, early eighties when the likes of Star Wars and stuff were floating around, and um, into the late eighties when you had like Batman hitting the big screen. I think all that kind of pieced together in my head made uh, real love kind of kind of stand out and, and kind of almost feel in sync with me a little bit uh, because film uh, eventually became a, a big thing for me mm. oh that's nice man um, and how did you come across that one uh, I knew Owen um, just through um, right. the, the indie scene um, and I knew I'd read I think at that time I'd read a couple of his other books um, but um, right. I think only in the last couple of years um, had he has he finished uh, the third part and he put out a, a collected edition through Unbound, um, right. which which really kind of ties everything together. And I think he actually revisited um, the earlier books uh, and kind of redrew and uh, redid a lot of work, so that it was it was all kind of uh, it kind of flowed. Um, but it's a it's a great book if you can get a hold of it as well. Um, especially if you if you like film and stuff like that, it's 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 a, it's a nice bit of escapism, um, and a bit a good chance to kind of reminisce. Definitely, and I, I guess the the best way to describe the art style is um, is probably friendly comes to mind for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yep. How, how would you describe it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, it's it's definitely got a kind of a kind of easy flow to it. Um, yeah. There's nothing, there's there's nothing to it in your in your face, so it feels it almost feels kind of natural, um, yeah. especially around some of the some of the earlier scenes when he, um, his his imagination is running wild with the influence of films and stuff. Um, you can really see that, that he's, he's he's trying to capture a, a kind of an era, if you like, um, mm. as much as a as a villain. Definitely, that's great, man. Um, and uh, yeah, no, another one added to the reading list. So thanks, yeah. Gary. I'm sorry, I'm sorry again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll email you a list. Thanks, dude. Uh, now, uh, the next question that comes up is, what's the most underrated comic? Um, I think there's there's a lot of kind of buzz about some of the some of the comics you already know, but um, for me, the, the one that, that, that really stuck struck me was um there was a series I can't remember when it was out. Um late two thousand early two thousands maybe. Um, right. it called uh, Daredevil End of Days. Um it was a kinda eight part series, um but it's got uh, I kinda see your names involved. It was Brian Bendis who wrote it, uh, David Mack, uh, Klaus Janssen, um Bill Sinkovitz and Alex Malie were all involved in it. Um, and it's an eight-issue series. It's about um, the last case that the Daredevil looks into, uh, and mm. it ends up it's a it's a it's a it's a case that it's very personal to him. Um, I desperately don't want to give away the twists in it, but um, <laughs> the, the the journey goes through and uh, some some of the, the the places he revisits, he goes back to like the Daily Bugle and speaks with, with Ben Urich and stuff like that. Uh, while he's investigating this, so um, for me, I think I think because it's it's very much a kind of era piece where he's he, he's, he's it feels like he's coming, he is actually coming to the end of his days, um, and yet he's still pushing to try and discover it, discover the secret and and, and make a difference. Um, it really kind of hammers home. It feels like it's 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 almost a Marvel version of something like uh, the Dark Knight Returns or something like that. It, it, for me, mm-hmm. it's always it's almost always had that kind of power. Um, I suppose potentially because how stylized it is 
uh, with the artwork between Mark and Sienkiewicz, uh, and particularly on the leaves covers. The leaves another person I really love the covers of. Mm. Um, but the eight, the eight issues um, meanders all the way through um, the, the the different places that he, that, he, that he grew up on, uh, the different people that he, that he interacted with, uh, and he gets to the bottom of this mystery um, that, he's, that he's desperately trying to, to, to solve. Um, and Matt, Matt Murdock just seems to go through the mill um, as that progresses. Um, but it's, 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 I just... I, T- tends to be one of those series where I've, I don't necessarily hear a lot of people talk about it, but I can't quite understand why. I think there's, pro- there's probably all manners of things that we've got that that that, that kind of slips into that category. But um, Entity seems to be the biggest one that sticks out in my mind. Yeah, it doesn't get the limelight as much as it should. No, have. not at all. No, it's yeah, a, it's a so maybe act. again one of those things that kind of passed a lot of people by or something. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, I've got the hardback edition and. I'm a sucker for mm. hardbacks at the best of times, but um, yeah. when, I, when I know it's a story that I've uh, that I've really kind of enjoyed as much as I have, and I've probably read it several times already. Um, so it's, it's it's definitely something that I've never heard people talk about overly much. Maybe maybe because it's a an eight issue arc and then it's gone. That's why. Whereas a an ongoing, maybe we'll just get a little bit more attention. But uh, end of days is is one I return to fairly regularly. Nice. And then, were there any uh, honourable mentions at all? Uh, the other ones that I could piece together in my head was um, DC had a had a book called uh, Simon Dark. Um, right. Strange enough, this this was a kind of uh, the the character of Simon Dark was almost uh, almost appeared like a kind of demon or, or at least a kind of more extreme vigilante than the likes of Batman. Um, Simon Dark was a vigilante within Gotham itself. Um, but Stephen Niles wrote that one, uh, and it, it really just covered. It, it really just showed that a vigilante in Gotham could go beyond whatever Batman was doing. Um, mm. It was. It, it, it never. I don't think it necessarily ran for too long. Maybe sixteen, eighteen issues, or something, something around that mark. I think there was potentially three, three volumes of it. Um, but again, like I said earlier on, it's it, it's probably it's probably a title that I picked up at just the right time where the mood was was right for 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 that kind of book being in in my pool list, uh, and I stuck with it, and it, it, it still sticks in my head some of the scenes from it um, because of how well the character was developed and 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 particularly how dark it went uh, when you knew Gotham essentially already had a vigilante to take care of to take care of stuff for everybody. But um Simon Dark's probably a good one to add to your growing list, no doubt. <laughs> um another one that I really love is uh, NPCT by Sarah Mormon. Um uh, I, I just I, I think I, I think I've I've loved that book since the since the first issue that I, that I got. Mm. Um I think I've backed every campaign. I've reviewed every book, eh, and I think it's just got got better and better because um, it's just so inclusive. Eh, mm. It's just got such a a, a great sense of the, the color palette. Is really interesting on it as well. So it, it varies for so, different yeah. scenes and different people, um, and it it just feels like it's got a little bit of everything in terms of the mood. There's there's high points. There's low points. There's um, relationship stuff. There's Family history. There's there's all manners of things kind of poured into this book, and you can see that um, Sarah's really trying trying her best to put out her best in, in every issue that comes out. Definitely, and um, she's she's done an outstanding job. Oh with yeah, it, I, 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 over the past couple of few years, even um, with it going, and it, it's just gone from strength to strength on Kickstarter. Mm. Yep, isn't it? Didn't totally. she? Was it? Was it over ten grand the la- this last one? Yeah, for for number eight something. in the collector edition. Yeah, it yeah, exactly. It was something. It was something silly, but I, th- I think when when you saw when you saw her freaking out on Twitter and stuff like that, I, I, I never felt like there was any need to freak out. I, th- I think it anyway, was almost yeah. always in the bag. But I think the nature of Kickstarter campaigns is that you never really know until you until you know. Yeah. That's it, and yeah, I mean, you know, Milmo is one of those people that's set for big things. Really, you know. Oh, yeah, you would definitely hope so. No reason yeah. why not. No, yeah, absolutely not. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be good to see to see her go yeah from strength to strength, just like uh, MPCT has. Um, so all the power to her. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, now uh, we come on to the most difficult question, and that is for you: what is the best comic of all time? This is, as you say, this is horrendous, and and, and I think whenever I've listened to the the, car, the podcast, it's been the same for everybody. They they they, they never really quite know what to say. Um, f- for me, as I said, Spider Man is, is kind of a big a big character uh, for me. Um, the other one for me is uh, Captain America, so I kind of flipped and flopped between two of them for quite a wee spell. Um, right. But I think both Spider Man and Cap have had their dips probably in the in the the stories that they've had on the go. Um, I then kind of went kind of left field and I and I came along with uh, the likes of Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and I think I ended up I, I settled on Calvin and Hobbes because Calvin and Hobbes seems to be one of those one of those things that I can return to at any stage of my life and I get something out of it. It tends to be maybe something different every time because there's highs, lows, there's giant existential questions thrown in there as well. But um, Calvin Hobbes seems to have a little bit of everything and it's one of, one of those rare things that's an all-wages book yeah. that has something for everyone. Um, and, I, and I don't quite know how that's possible because probably if you sat and had calculations on how to work that out it probably shouldn't work but it does it works on mm. every level for pretty much every person in some way well, at least that's how it, it always seems it seems to be that everybody's gets kind of a, a soft spot for it so cavern hobbs is, is where i'm i'm kind of settling on i think um but it probably if you asked me in 20 minutes it would probably change and if you probably asked me in 40 minutes it would change again so uh, <laughs> it's very very tough um, I don't know how you settled on this question um, but I dare, say, I dare say you've got a whole stream of different answers oh yeah definitely and the, the, I mean the idea of that question really I guess is to is to push people um, break in, us in that <laughs> yeah break you yeah that's what I know you've like you win. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no no it's, it's to help push people to kind of see to try and I guess direct people to to where they think kind of the the cream is basically yeah um really like in in this community and it's not to say like definitively that is the best comic ever no not at all um, no not at all like especially it's, when you yeah. know the likes of Watchmen V for Vendetta um, yeah. all those kind of bigger books have mm-hmm. have received much bigger plaudits um sure there's there's some of these that some of these that are classics that I've tried to read and have never gotten into. Um, yeah. But I'm sure that somewhere down the line I will revisit them and, and maybe get them. But um, it's a hard one for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And that, that's the that's the idea is it is to make a difficult question, um, and then and then people tend to come up with interesting answers. Um, and so, do you and you, do have... you ever settle on one? Or no, no, and and this is, this is it as well. everybody else. <laughs> I yeah, absolutely changes like everybody else, and um, that that's part of it as well. So you know, you could you could come back on next year if you wanted Gary, and you'd have completely different answers like Definitely. for all of these questions. Yep, um, and for no, 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 no. for for what is the best comic of all time because you're you, you read more, um, and it could be you know a comic from the sixties or it could be a comic from last yeah. year, um. Yep. And um, yeah, that's, that's the beauty of all of this, and and it also depends on your time, the time in your life as well, where you're mm-hmm. at in yep. life as well, and if something's particularly speaking to you at that time in your life, then that is the best comic for you yep. at that time, I yep. guess. It's the, it's the mood um, yeah, isn't it? Um, but anyway, um, we come on to our last question, um, and that is: if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? Um, I think I think probably like many other people, I've gone for um, something that's particularly big. Um, yeah. I've gone for the Earth X trilogy from Alex Ross and Jim Kruger. Mm. Um, it kind of it was probably the the the, the kinda, I, probably because I, I I was a big fan of Alex Ross anyway. Uh, I probably kind of really got into this straight away. And, and got each of the each of the three arcs as they came out, um, but I think just because 
maybe maybe because there's 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 a gap in some of my reading, or maybe because uh, I never started till I was about twelve or thirteen, and had, had probably missed a lot of the, the big events that had come out in the eighties. I think the likes of Crisis and Infinite Earths had, had come and gone in the in the eighties. Um, maybe Secret Wars and stuff like that had come and gone as well. So they perhaps passed me by, whereas Earth X seems to be one of the ones that. Um, happened in my life then if you like that's that, that tends to be how a lot of these things are remembered but um the fact that i never knew much of the history of some of the characters to have um a story playing out through it and to have the the entire universe of of of, of marvel kind of drift in and out and play their part and then it all to come together um it just seemed to be a storyline that, that defied what I thought comics could be. Um, I think up until then, I, I'd maybe always thought that they were small, they were, they were, they were almost self-contained, um, and that they followed uh, a continuity that was known and that had been repeated maybe again and again and again, whereas uh, EarthX kind of challenged that and made it, made it appear that rather than maybe a a transfer of a of a comic from the pages of a comic to like TV or to maybe the big screen was as big as it could go. Um, Earthx had 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 big ideas about, uh, I suppose, life about where things could end up, uh, about the universe and uh, and everything else. So um, it's a bulky read. I've got yeah. I was going to say so. It's um, it's like thirteen hundred pages. Yep. The omnibus. That's yeah, it. It's a buggy. Uh, I think. Oh I think it's, it's split into two. I think there's an alpha right. and there's an omega. Yeah. I've got them. Right. I've also got a, an earlier edition that's in a, a sealed, like a kind of plastic casing with it as well, hardback. Yes. And it's just the Earthx first volume itself. Uh, I've owned each of the. I think it's twelve or fourteen issues. Per, per volume, I think. I've, I've owned them at different times as well. Uh, and I've got, if you look at them, there's a, the covers interconnect. Mm. So it was Alex Ross's art, larger than life on a, on a single cover, but then larger than life again on all the covers interconnected, um, which just seemed to be probably just blow my mind at that point when I first read it. Um, and it's one that I'm probably going to go through a read as well. Too right, man. Looks like the type of thing that you can kind of read again and again. Oh yeah, well, it, it's it's quite heavy in places, but sure. um, it's, it's it's definitely it's definitely something that you can get your teeth into. And if you've got the omnibus edition, then there's nothing necessarily stopping you. No, absolutely and, not. That's and awesome. we've all got more time in the house just now, so yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> get involved. Get Good involved. time to get that one. Awesome, man. Great. Um, well, um, we come on to our final question, and that is, uh, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse alongside your uh, EarthX trilogy? <laughs> I suppose the EarthX trilogy has got the weapon covered, so I could bludgeon something. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I suppose with the, with the apocalypse <laughs> happening, um, the thing I would probably grab is I could cheat by saying toolbox, but I don't think is that sure, man. Is that an yeah. acceptable option? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, outside of the box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm thinking toolbox because if the robots are are, are there on, and on the ascendancy, um, you're going to have to adapt. And what better way to adapt than having an option of tools? You've got an option of weapons. Plus, there's probably nothing you can't fix with a hammer. Uh, you take things apart with your screwdriver, um, so that you can hack stuff. Um, all manner of things in that toolbox. Just have to keep your your toolbox really well stocked. Always. Uh, add some C4 in there just in case. Yeah, uh, man. In a false grenades, bottom. <laughs> grenades. Exactly. Yeah. Go all desperado on it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, toolbox probably be the, the easiest option because then you knew, then then you would know you're at least covered to fix, fight, or feed yourself. <laughs> Definitely. That's awesome, Gary. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse today. It's been a real pleasure. No bother. Thanks, Sam. Awesome. And then for the listeners one more time, where can they find you online? 
Uh, they can get me over on my website. It's comicsanonymous.co.uk. Uh, it's Comics Anonymous over on Facebook, and it's Comics Anon blog on Twitter. Fantastic. And again, there's a link from the show notes. And I just hope that our paths cross in real life at a con, Comic Con later in the year. I'm sure they will. No doubt. That's fantastic, Gary. Uh, well, thanks again for your time today. And uh, you, you stay safe. You too. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Gary for being on Comments for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Gary's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.